Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. A lot of people spend a lot of money on things like skincare, fast fashion, and even surgery, all in the name of self-improvement. But as the price of perfection rises, when is it time to call it quits? I'm Rima Hreis, host of This Is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This season, we dig deep into the financial trappings of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton, and I am excited to talk about this topic today which is tangentially about Donald Trump, but really is not about Donald Trump because who the hell wants to talk about Donald Trump anymore? But it is someone who I hope and maybe think can become president of the United States, none other than Mayor Pete. And so I invited uh, my good friend Tina on the show today. Tina, hi. How are you? I'm great, Nick. It's good to talk. Can you tell uh, Can you can you tell us um, what you do while you're here, just so that people understand... Uh, that you're not some random person on the street called Tina? <laughs> um, I could be that too. No, I am a staff reporter from The Hive, and I cover politics in the media. My latest beat right now is the Democratic uh, primary and the progressive movement and how it's muscling its way into the establishment. And to immediately jump in, Mayor Pete is kind of part of that movement. Okay, so I have, I'm just going to start with the last question, and then we'll just wrap it up and call it a day. But here's the question that everyone asks. Mayor Pete is, it's very clear, Buttigieg, boot edge edge, however you say his name. Uh, what That's is very exactly clear, right. it is exactly right. He has boot edge edge written on the side of his um, walls in his uh, campaign offices. But here's the question. Will America vote for a gay man? I mean, it's very clear that he is incredibly talented, incredibly smart, um, incredibly articulate. He speaks seven languages. He's served in uh, in war. He is, you know, um, he, he's been incredibly successful as a mayor. Uh, I don't think you need to be uh, a senator or a governor anymore before you have to be president, as Donald Trump went from reality TV star to president. But... The question, the looming question is, will America vote for, uh, will the Midwest America specifically vote for uh, a gay man? That is an interesting question. Now, the one thing that people who like Mayor Pete are fascinated by is that he has all of those qualifications. And as uh, one person put it, I may have been Colbert, and it was another one of my sources, uh, Mayor, the fact that he is gay is maybe the fourth or fifth most interesting thing about Mayor Pete. Uh, recent polls actually found that most Americans would actually be okay with a gay president. 
And that's such a rapid turnaround from where we were as a country, like 10, 15 years ago. And the fact that Mayor Pete is so compelling and so intelligent seems to override any sort of compunctions people have about him. Uh, Also, the fact that he's in such a traditionally, a traditional, stable, monogamous, super adorable, super loving marriage also (laughs) helps. No, I mean, it's a huge political asset. Like, I think but, the stereotype I, around... I totally yeah, agree, so. but I, I guess the question is, well, it's, it's interesting. So we, you know, we talk a lot about women in politics and the glass ceiling and um, uh, and how long it's taken to kind of even, I, I don't, I would, I don't know if, I'm curious to think, would you say it's broken already or it still has to be broken until we get a, a, a female president in? But the, but, but when you look at, you know, um, uh, LBGT issues in America. Thirty years ago, if you like, Mayor Pete wouldn't have even he even been he wouldn't have been like interviewed on a blog. Like it was, it was just kind of unthinkable that someone who was gay in America could rise up um, and uh, and run for politics or have a family with, in the tr- in non traditional way or whatever. That has changed so dramatically and so quickly uh, in the past two three decades that. I guess the question is, has it changed enough? That quickly? Um, Honestly, it could. I just pulled up this poll um, that said about... about 70% of Americans, majority of them uh, young people, but I would say a bare majority of boomers and people older than that, which tend to be like the voting public, uh, they're totally okay with it. Hold on, it's Quinnipiac. Uh, 70% said they're open to electing a gay president. Um, 52% added they don't think the country at large is ready for a gay president, which is a really fascinating dynamic. Uh, Maybe it speaks to the weirdness of the electoral college. At the same time, I think, okay, I'm going to, if this is too tangential, like, please fear me back on course. But <laughs> uh, so if we go back to the very start of the gay marriage movement, it was originally a very conservative idea. Uh, so the person who initially put forth the idea of gay marriage was Andrew Sullivan, who um, is gay, but he's also a Catholic. And when he wrote in, oh God, I can't, I can't remember the magazine, but he wrote in this magazine that he thought that the way for people to accept um, gay rights, LGBTQ rights, was to introduce the idea of marriage into the public debate. Um, and it, his argument was that if you introduce the idea of same-sex attraction and same-sex partnerships in the traditional bounds of marriage, it would make the idea of homosexuality less scary and less deviant and say, okay, look, this is a union between two people that care and love for each other and they can have traditional values. They can, uh, they don't have to be separated from society. This is an institution that they should be allowed to participate in because they are in love with each other. And that's totally fine. And that's a, that's honestly a concept that's been, accepted into the mainstream over time and very quickly once it became once gay marriage started becoming legal in several states like but, so, they did. but here's Sorry, the question so, no I, I and and this is all fascinating i think that the the what my what my question is i'm not asking this cuz if if it were up to me i would to say let's make mayor pete uh president um uh i think he would have an incredibly uh impactful 
um, presidency. Um, I, and, you know, I think I also feel the same kind of about Kamala Harris and there's a few other people, uh, and I say a few because it's a, it's a small few on the big long list of people that are running, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit. But I guess the question is, is I, I want to make sure, and we all want to make sure that whoever goes up against Donald Trump can beat Donald Trump. And, um, and, and the question is, are, is, is, is there anything about Buttigieg that says that he can't? Um, and I think that, you know, the question that, that a lot of people have asked is, is, is if this is the thing and not because of him or because of his expertise or his brilliance, but because America, Midwest America still has ideals that are in many ways in the 1950s. I don't think he would be continually a reelected mayor of South Bend, Indiana, if that were a problem. Uh, he was even, like, I don't think people in Indiana particularly had an aversion to the fact that he was gay. And I remember when he got married to Sweet Sweet Chastin Buttigieg, he actually incorporated it. He incorporated the city into the celebration and highlighted small business values and traditional Christian values. And I think as long as his sexuality doesn't play into his beliefs and his connection to Midwestern values and his own fervent um, understanding and belief in Christianity. I think that's completely irrelevant. And yep. the way that the and the way that Donald Trump has always framed the culture war has always been values versus like progressive values versus traditional values. And you can see that a lot of gay men and LGBT people are perfectly okay with traditional Republican values, maybe not necessarily like the really far right ones, but traditional, um, you know, well, I mean, Peter Thiel is nuke, a yeah. perfect, you know, example of, of uh, someone who's a gay man who is incredibly conservative in his, in his thinking, you know, that's, and has, and supported Trump as a result of that. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. do, do, do you think that, uh, how does Trump, take on Buttigieg if, if, if he is the one. I mean, it's interesting. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I, Trump hasn't gone after him yet. He's gone after Biden, Sanders, and, you know, he's, he's uh, of course, gone after um, Warren quite a lot um, and, and even some others. But he hasn't necessarily gone after um, – I don't think he's gone after Harris or, or um, uh, Buttigieg. How, how, how does a, a you know – the big bad bully Donald go after someone like him? I don't think they even know the question, the answer to that at all. Mm, like, have, like yeah. yeah, they don't. I mean, he's such a new figure to public. He's such a new figure on the national scene that they haven't really put together a profile of him yet. I think the most that they've been able to do is talk about his relationship with the minority community in South Bend. When he was mayor, just to like recap really quickly, when he was mayor, he had a um, initiative to get rid of urban blight, which can actually hurt the economy of a city. And there were maybe like a thousand houses that were sitting unempty, like empty and unoccupied for several years. And they started to disintegrate and looked really terrible and people couldn't live in them. So he made a uh, he made a promise to raise a specific number of them by a certain point and he met that. Um, he was able to I think he was able to build new housing over that um, and more affordable housing and more livable housing. But that's the only 
issue that his opponents have been, really been able to hit him on because it did impact minority communities. But if, at the same time, if Donald Trump goes, Mayor Pete has not, it's such a subtle point for him to make. And it also makes Donald Trump tr- inadvertently espouse a woke belief mm-hmm. and say, and that he would support such a woke belief, just to put it casually. So maybe they'll find something, or maybe they'll be reduced to making up things like Jacob Wool. Oh if yeah, want to well, get into that madness? We're gonna we're gonna get into that moron uh, in a minute. So okay, so uh, as f- so so with 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 Pete, do you think so? One of the, the criticisms about him has been that he doesn't have any foreign policy experience and so on. Of course, Donald Trump didn't probably know where any place on the map was other than Russia and America uh, before he was president. Do, well, here's the question, I guess. This, it's a two-part question. One is, do you think that Mayor Pete can be the nominee? I mean, do you think that he's going to pull it off? I mean, he literally, what's so fascinating is when you kind of look at some of the polls, um, you know, just the, the 2020 Democratic primary polls, uh, you, you have, uh, they do them every couple months. So you've got December, February, April. And in December and February, there there's no data for Buttigieg because no one knew who he was. And now he's like running third and fourth and, and second in certain states in the in the primary polls. Um, do you think that he could pull it off? Is, is it, or am I just living in a pipe dream that thinks that he might be able to? He... I honestly, I'm going to call it right now. I think he can pull it off. I think he will make it past Super Tuesday. I could actually see, like, if you look, if you consider it a certain way, he's sort of running the Donald Trump playbook, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah it's being an outsider. It's having a fairly fresh resume. It's saying I'm not tied into the corruption of Washington, and it's getting as much media as possible. He is everywhere. He is trying. He's like on Ellen. He's just doing interviews left and right. His comp, his comp director, Liz Smith, there's actually an article written about her where she basically said, my goal is to put Mayor Pete on everything. And she's quite good at that. I don't know how he's done. I, he's done so many interviews in the past week alone. And he's compelling. And he's a good He's a good person to have as an interviewee, which is the same thing that Donald Trump was, except Trump was better at saying horrifying things. Yeah, I mean, what's so fa- I think what I, I find so respectful about Pete is that he's um, he's always consistently says smart things. It's like, you know, you look at Beto and um, O'Rourke, and he says smart and thoughtful things, but then he sometimes says uh, unthoughtful things or does unthoughtful things. For example, you know, announcing his presidential candidacy on a YouTube video and his wife sitting next to him and not being allowed to say a word, which I thought was just just ridiculous um but pete says these things that are just i think it's they're just so like you know the why didn't anyone think of that earlier you know he, there was one video of him talking about um about the whole concept of this idea that make america great again just the word again in itself is 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 it the wrong way of thinking it's a thinking of going backwards and we need to be thinking about going forwards and and um and i'd never heard of politician kind of so eloquently say that and i think that uh um you know what what seems to be exciting from everyone i talk to about him uh is that he's unlike anything in the party uh that that is really running um he's you know as you said he's not a politician in the traditional sense 
Um, uh, he's not a Washington insider, and um, he. But yet, at the same time, he doesn't stoop to the Donald Trump calling people names level, um, which is which is fascinating. So I actually met him at a fundraiser at some point. I was covering it for VF, and I was just kind of interested in seeing how he was being received. He had there were so many people there, but I had an opportunity to catch him afterwards. And what I and um, so. I decided randomly to throw a kind of off-the-wall extreme question at him. Um, I asked him what he thought of Andrew Yang's universal basic income proposal, and he just figured things out on the fly. He cited about three studies that he wanted to pay attention to that was uh, dealing with universal basic income on a smaller scale in a smaller cities, and he, I th- he, like, he is good at... If thinking on his feet. He has such a giant base of knowledge and an awareness of the world that he yeah. that he can draw from super quickly. Uh, yeah. I think that lends him an air of authenticity and that uh, that also highlights how intelligent he is. I don't if when you when he sorry, when the debates come up in like, I don't know, a couple of weeks, June, July, I think that's gonna be very telling honestly, for whether he can hold his own against people who are far more Well, that's what, yeah, and, that was my next question. You're going to have, I don't think, you, you, can we have 20-something people on stage together, or will there be sub-debates? How is that going to work? So there are going to be two debates, and the way that the DNC has structured it, it candidates have to reach two metrics. They first have to get at least 1% in three or more major polls or nationwide or in Iowa or New Hampshire. And second, they have to get more than 65,000 donations across the country. About uh, 10 candidates have met that. More candidates have met either one or the other. Generally, the 1% one, because if they had 65,000 donations, they would be further, they would be out of the 1% range. So you might actually just have a debate with, I don't know, 10 people. Um, But the way, but the DNC also said that they're going to randomly select who gets into what debate. So unlike the the Republican debate where they had the undercard, like kid table debate where like no one paid attention to that, they will have a random mix of people. Uh, my general fear, though, is that the who knows if it's going to end up like this, but it's a random chance that one debate is literally going to just be all the progressive candidates going at each other and the other one's going to be the mild centrist white guys. So, sounds like Twitter. Um, uh, okay, so but there's but the reality is we're probably going to see um, Harris, Booker, Warren, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, Gillibrand, Sanders, Biden. Not Gillibrand. Not Gillibrand. She hasn't reached the sixty-five thousand mark yet. Oh wow. Okay, Biden, and then maybe O'Rourke. Uh, um, and then maybe some other people. We've now got Michael Bennett, who's in the race, who a lot of people have been waiting to see if he would run from um, uh, Colorado. You've got um, mm-hmm. so you've got all these people. Um, it, it, is it going to be? Are they are they going to be mean to each other and attack each other like the Republicans did, or are they going to be able to rise above that in the in the goal of slaying? Uh, the Night King, Donald Trump. Publicly, they will support each other. 
Got there it. is no there is no way they can to do that. A couple of them signed this pledge from a voter action group, Indivisible, promising that they would immediately back whoever won, that they wouldn't use personal attacks during the campaign, stuff like that. Who knows what the secret dark world of political operatives and rat... Can I say rat fuckers? You can say whatever the fucking fuck you want on this show. Who knows what the rat fuckers are going to do? It's a dark, dark, twisted art. And who, I mean, well, who, honestly, are there? who are the, is that the rat fuckers? Is there someone in the race? Like, is Booker secretly going to be like a really mean person? He's not. He's a very nice guy. But like, is, um, you know, uh, I mean, they all seem pretty nice. The, you know, I, there, there are some of them. I don't agree with their policies or I don't think that they can stand up to to uh to trump but um they all seem like pretty nice people it, are the are the are the mean people the ones that are kind of going to run the super PACs that are going to do the things on this on the side and the sly and the snide or uh and the everyone else just kind of gets to pretend or how's that going to work out no one ever wants to admit that they're rat fucking the only person who's done that in the past several cycles is Donald Trump. Mm. Like he's just open about it. He's just flinging wild accusations left and right. And even Ted Cruz was at least fairly buttoned up and refused to go into extremely scurrilous uh, rumors and such publicly. The thing is, like, if you want to properly rat fuck, you don't indicate that you're rat fucking. Um, I, uh, yeah, completely understand that. It's, uh, that's politics, right? Um, yes, exactly. Okay, so, um, so here's a question. Do you think, let's switch gears a little bit from Buttigieg. Um, uh, and it's funny, we, I mean, we talk about, we talk about these people, um, and it's almost like their policies don't actually, uh, matter as much in the beginning, um, because it's really about, it's like, it's like UFC fighters. Like, who is going to kick the shit out of the person that we want the shit to be kicked out of? But um, I want to talk about Harris a little bit. Like, ha- Kamal Harris is an incredibly brilliant uh, lawyer. She was amazing at the bar um, interview. What do you call it? Interrogation? I, I, I mean, I, what? Congressional hearing. Congressional hearing. Yeah, but it's more like a, you know, let's, let's, let's hold this guy to who he is. But she was, um, you know, she's been, she's always incredible in that respect. Um, can... Is my worry with her is that she might be perceived as a as a politician. Um, do you think she can get past that? I mean, the thing is, she is a politician. She is a senator. She's been attorney general in the past. She okay. So maybe the up, question yeah. maybe the question isn't do you think she can get past that, but do you think that people will want that? I think she has a short enough political record to say I'm not particularly a Washingtonian creature because that was Obama's um, argument as well. And I think when she's able to distance herself from the system during a debate or some such, or prove that she is a lot more um, aggressive than her colleagues are, her more genteel colleagues in the Senate, which she did during the Barr interrogation and the Kavanaugh hearing, several, several other hearings off the t- I can't remember off the top of my head, um, she could make the argument that she's more willing to go to the mat. And... Right now, she's still, she still has a full-time job as a senator, and the fact that she's able to campaign at all is kind of impressive, but I th- yeah, like that's basically the path that she has to take. 
that's also when she gets into the debates too she's going to hulk smash her way through it <laughs> hulk smash like her she's, way she well she's yeah, one I of mean, she's one of seven senators that are running so she's not the only you know washington political folk up there but um you know i think it it's she's she's very talented um and i think she'd mm-hmm. be a very effective president um i mean the I, thing is there are also there are more senators up there that are more like traditionally kind of political creatures like Kristen gillibrand who's changed her position on healthcare. oh i don't know like five times by now huh yeah what about um uh elizabeth warren i think one of the things i i find uh i I love about about Warren is that she is um, she's going to take on big tech, uh, and I think that um, that is probably one of the most important things that we can do, um, uh, second to climate change and inequality. And I think inequality and climate change are also kind of tied into big tech in many respects. But you know, she's going to take them on. She thinks they should be regulated, which I think they should be too. Um, she's got a lot of like very smart ideas. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure where she stands on the on abolishing the the electoral map, which uh, I know Buttigieg wants to do, which I think uh, Obama should have done, but was you know whatever for whatever reason chose not to. Um, we would be having a very different conversation had he done that, of course. But uh, but I think that you know she's got some am- amazing policies. She's clearly very thoughtful, very. Um, really wants to make a difference. Um, do you think that she has a chance? Well, first of all, if she, the moment that she comes up with a plan to abolish the con- the electoral college, she will announce it. And she's probably thinking of one right now. But um, I think if we are talking about how most people think of politicians, which is their personalities, like it or not, she has a less than strong chance than someone who's far more charismatic and a lot less. Um, look, I hate to say this, but like this is the general perception of her, um, a bit of a lecturer at heart. So yeah. I don't, but the thing is like, I've always thought that her ideas, she puts more value on getting policies written and getting more ideas into the public debate. And I think her friends have told the New York times that she doesn't particularly care if she wins or not. She just wants her ideas out there and she wants people to follow her ideas. And the fact that she's tried to um, distinguish herself by putting all of these policies out there far before anyone else. I mean, maybe it doesn't mean that she wins, but it means that she set the standard that people have to meet or match or, um, argue against. And that I think is pretty important. Okay. So do you think that, um, if you had to guess and look, this is total, this, this, you know, it's throwing buckets of spaghetti against the wall and seeing which strands stick. Um, uh, if you had to guess if, a, a, a few different scenarios of who might be the nominee and who might be a vice president, how do you think that's going to play out? Do you could, is it, is it, Kamala Buttigieg? Is it Warren Kamala? Is it, you know, I don't think Booker's going anywhere. I don't think O'Rourke's going anywhere. Um, uh, I personally don't think Biden is going to go anywhere. We're going to talk about Biden in a minute. But um, who do you think, if you had to pick a couple of scenarios, who do you think they might be? I think it would be hilarious if we had a Sanders-Yang presidency. Mm. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) 
But, uh, I mean, it's really too early to tell. The thing is, uh, Biden by far is the most qualified if you were checking off a list of things that a president should be. But the national mood might go one way or the other. And as you go through the Iowa, New Hampshire primaries, or even the couple months before that, you might be able to see, does the country want someone who can bring America back to its original place, but then have someone on the side who can like make a good case for progressive ideas, which is kind of what Obama did with Biden to begin with. Or do you want someone who wants to smash the patriarchy, but then have someone who can mitigate that by being a nice, unoffensive white guy? Well, I think that I, I, it's a great question. I think it's going to be a combination. I think it's going to be a combination of one of the two of those two um, qualities, like something that can balance itself out and then make a larger scale appeal to the American public. That's why Trump chose Mike Pence. Mike Pence is a straight-laced evangelical former governor. Yeah, it was a, it was a, an incredibly smart pick. Uh, I think he's an awful human being who is a hypocrite and actually doesn't believe in God, uh, only believes in himself. But it was a very intelligent pick. But I think if you kind of look back over history, you know, uh, of presidents. I mean, look from you know, go back to Richard Nixon, sixty-nine to seventy-four. Um, he was a response to Lyndon B. Johnson and the Vietnam War, and Ford was a response to Nixon, and Carter was a response to Ford. And if you kind of, it starts to get more extreme as you get up to uh, George W. Bush, H. W. Bush, and then you go to Clinton, and then W. Bush, and then Barack Obama and Donald Trump. They're they're all they are all responses to each other, um, and I think that it's almost like. Uh, the, it's almost like a sin wave that used to it used to be just kind of small and um, ebbed up and down, and now has become more extreme and ebbed from Obama to to Trump. And I think that the my guess is that the next nominee that that the country is going to go after will be someone who is going to be a direct response to Trump. So, like I guess that that to me looks like more like a Buttigieg, right? Well, first of all, it sounds like you're really standing hard for Buttigieg. Well, I just, I, 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 I look, I like, I like Harris equally. I like Warren equally. Um, I, I, I just think that that they, I don't know if the rest of the country um, wants someone who has been in politics for so long. Um, I just think that they, they, it's the reason. Part of the reason Trump won. Part of it was he's charismatic and. He's funny and he picks fights and he's, you know, he's, but most of it, I think, is that he is, um, uh, he's just a, um, uh, he's different, completely different than any, anything that they've seen before. And the reason that the people voted for him is because he is someone who, um, uh, who doesn't look anything like, a politician, and I think that now we're going to see something. People are going to want a politician, but they're not going to want a traditional politician, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. I mean, that I didn't you have that guy, that Democratic operative, several podcasts ago, who talked about the swing from Arnold Schwarzenegger back to Jerry Brown? Yeah, exactly. Um, that's exactly the that's exactly the thing, and I think that the country is probably going to be the same thing. Um, what, what's the story with? Um, we now have you know, as of actually this week, you have uh, Michael Bennett, who is the um, I mentioned him earlier, the Colorado congressman. 
he he's kind of a bit more of like an attack dog personality. There's a, there was a story today in 538 um, about um, you know how he actually could be the one that pushes forward. He he's taken on um, you know Ted Ted Cruz and um, called Donald Trump's proposal for the wall. Uh, he calls it a medieval wall. Uh, he's you know he's a he's a bit of a scrapper. Um, do you think that the the country maybe wants a scrapper to go after Trump, or do they want a nice person? I think they want a scrapper. We saw someone who was nice when Trump took on Hillary, and okay, not nice, but less punchy. Like she had a tr- she had she had trouble punching back at him. Uh, I think at the very least, it would be a really good contrast in the debate. Yeah, but, no, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think anyone who does take on Trump has to wipe the floor with him, and visibly. <laughs> wipe the floor with him, uh, if only. Or get um, him, to, or get him to like fold back on himself the way that Pelosi and Schumer did during that. I'm not sure why that debate was public, but um, when Pelosi and Schumer had to meet Trump in the White House to talk about the government shutdown, and Trump for some reason wanted all the cameras there so he could show how strong he was and how much of a great businessman he was. And then he ended up saying, I will shut the government down and I'd be proud to do it. Like that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, um, I, I totally agree. I think, but, but I think that you, I think it's like, um, uh, do you watch Game of Thrones, by the way? Yes, I do. Love you Game know, of Thrones. I don't want to do any spoilers here, but I think it's kind of like how they took on the White Walkers and they had to kind of come up with, you, you know, the traditional sense of like a war is that you have to, you, you know, you, it used to be that you'd take all your, your army folks and you'd stick them across from your other army folks and then you go at it. And then, and then war started to become strategic and it was like, okay, well, we'll put people up on this hill and we'll come from behind. And, and I think that like with Trump, you cannot go head to head with him. You have to come up with a better solution than that. And I think that that's where, um, that's the only way you can win. Uh, you cannot, you cannot out diss him. You cannot out. He's a very, I'm, I, you know, I've, I've, been, I've seen him speak. I've, I've, been in the same room as him he's a very charismatic person and i think that like that sometimes gets lost in our visceral hatred for him and his policies and his the things that he's done um but he's there is something there is a reason that people like being around him uh um he has a a kind of a funny way about him and and um and a charisma uh that in many respects a lot of politicians have that that have been very successful like clinton and and um obama and even even george w bush um and i think that uh but he's you know you're not going to beat him in a in a head-on fight you're gonna have to come up with some other solution for it you're listening to inside the hive with nick bilton you're listening to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. We have a very, very, very special offer for you this week. If you go to vf.com slash inside the hive and use the promo code hive, you will save 50% on a subscription to Vanity Fair, both the print and digital magazine, and you will get a free, that's the word right, free wraparound Vanity Fair logo tote, which I use all the time. I love my Vanity Fair logo tote. It's black. It's white. It looks gorgeous. It's very practical. Once again, go to vf.com slash inside the hive. For $15, you'll get unlimited access to vanityfair.com, the digital magazine, monthly delivery of the print magazine, the new online archives of collections that go back till gosh knows when, and you'll get that Vanity Fair tote bag. Once again, vf.com slash hive. Enter the code hive. For $15, you get all that wonderful stuff. 
John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about Mint Mobile? Do you know what it's all about? Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those savings right on to you. I've been using Mint Mobile for weeks, and I've been impressed both by the quality and by the price. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for 15 bucks a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can choose from 3, 6, or 12-month plans and say goodbye to a monthly phone bill. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com hive. That's mintmobile.com h-i-v-e. Cut your monthly wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com hive. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down. So your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan. A sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. Um, all right, so I, I have a, 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 some more quick questions, um, and then we'll we'll let you get back to um, to your to your typing and writing. Um, the The question is, we we've over the last few weeks we've seen the Mueller reports finally come out. We've actually read most of the report, uh, other than the the blacked out parts. Um, we've had the Barr congressional hearing, which was kind of a disaster, in my opinion. Um, it it seems like the the report is is twofold. It is it does not um, it says it doesn't charge the president with obstruction because it, you can't, of course. Uh, but it does show that he did some really terrible things to be, to get elected, and that people in his campaign did, and so on. But Barr managed to change that uh, narrative by immediately coming out with this letter saying that. Uh, that the president has essentially been absolved. And it doesn't matter, even even if Mueller just agreed with that, um, it doesn't necessarily matter because the f- first person to make the statement is the one that wins. And the president, of course, uh, the Trump team is going gonna, is gonna to use that to their advantage from, from, from this moment forward. But the question is, is, do you think that the Mueller report and the results of it will play a role in the election? Or is it going to be... A, a, is it just going to be a tool that Trump is going to use to pretend that nothing happened? 
it's going to be the latter unless the Democrats keep find a way to keep it in the public eye over the next year and a half. Like that's a long time. If you can't keep if you can't keep that issue in the forefront of people's minds, they're going to go along with the first interpretation and just kind of forget about it and think, "Why are you bringing this up right now?" Which is why Congress is pressing forward with all of these investigations into his conduct, into his whether he obstructed justice or not. And honestly, like that is going to be the barometer of whether people care. Like there have to be new developments. There has to be more evidence. Uh, and who knows, maybe the Democrats might even be able to start the process of impeachment. Uh, so, it's, okay. it's, all, it's all in the Democrats' court right now. Um, so, so okay, but let's walk through that impeachment process. I, do, I, I, I don't understand. So what, they, they impeach him in the House and then nothing happens, right? It, yeah, but it also shows that the Democrats are making a stand on this. Uh, the problem is, though, that you might have a situation like uh, I don't like the Newt Gingrich's attempt to impeach Bill Clinton. And sure, it, may, it meant that the presidency soon reverted to a Republican, but that also meant that the Republicans lost all of their advantages in the House. And if Trump gets reelected and then the Democrats happen to lose that advantage in the House, we're back to 2016, except with fewer centrists. So Trump's agenda will just sail through. Okay, now you're making me, you're, you're scaring me. <laughs> um, My job is to, apparently every, thing, every time I say something, I scare the hell out of people. Oh, God. Uh, you, you're definitely scaring me, I'll, I'll give you that. Um, okay, so if you had to... Um, if you had to kind of play this out, if let's just say I said to you, Tina, you are now in charge of the campaign to unseat Donald Trump as president of the United States. Go. What would your strategy be? You get to kind of you get to move everyone around on the chessboard. You get to kind of decide who who takes them on. You um, uh, how the strategy they use. Uh, walk me through it. Uh, do I get to pick a candidate, or do yes. I just like you look get, at all the candidates get, and start? Moving you them around to, the field. You get to pick a candidate. You get to say, this is the person who who is going to win the primary. This is how they're going to win it. This is their VP pick, um, and so on. You get someone is, as the nominee who is fairly progressive and makes nods to progressive things, but nothing that touches on the third rail of culture war stuff, which for the right tends to be the wall. Maybe Medicare for all, definitely Green New Deal. Uh, the wall and Green New Deal are the two things that Trump is going to run like the like hell on. Um, Bernie Sanders might be a good person to put forth in that. Uh, Pete Buttigieg, and after either one of those guys wins, you make a ton of electoral plays. Try to get back the blue wall. Try to flip a couple of districts in the South. Um, you actually could flip a couple of districts in the South. Texas might be up for grabs this year after what Beto did. And Biden actually beats Beto in his own home state, which is sort of hilarious. Um, but you start trying to figure out where you have more advantages than the other person. And you start maybe running on the idea of improving the healthcare system, maybe even embracing Medicare for all. Harder hmm. than the other issues. Uh, Biden, not Biden, Sanders actually did a town hall with Fox News recently, and he started talking about health care, and people in the audience started like warming up to that and applauding that. So I think there's a message where a progressive even could start 
appealing to a specific su- uh, subset of pe- of Trump voters' concerns that they felt were unaddressed by Trump himself. Like, the first thing Trump did was try to repeal Obamacare, and he failed, and he's not trying to do that again, if you've noticed. Yeah. But people, but Medicare is the thing that impacts people's life the most. Health insurance is imp- impacting people's lives immediately and the most. Sure, you know, immigrants are... They feel that immigrants are a substantial threat to them, but someone in Wisconsin is not really going to see the impact of, uh, you know, Mexicans and Hondurans try to get through the border. And those were the countries that those were the counties and those were the states that flipped for Trump. So run on Medicare, run on health care, run on trying to, you know, build jobs, but primarily run on health care. Interesting. Okay, so do you think that um, uh, this this candidate that you're picking and, and their strategy running on these things, how do they um, – do they take on Trump directly? Do they say he's a bad guy and don't vote for him because he lied and and is a Russian operative and all these other things, or do they rise above it? They rise above it but then focus specifically on tr- how Trump failed the people in highly specific policy ways – like seriously, I would run like crazy on healthcare. And what about the economy? So one of the problems, if you're running, is and it's not a problem for Americans, but it's a problem as a from a Democratic candidate, is that that the economy is doing pretty well. It's still it's still chugging along. It's still growing. It's still, you know, all of the tax breaks and and the policies that that uh, the Trump administration put forward. Even though I agree disagree with a lot of them, especially, you know, pulling back on the protections around consumers and banking and and just you know the tax issues and so on um they have continued to stave off a um uh, an impending recession that everyone expected barring that coming um do, do you think that the economy plays a huge role and if so uh do the democrats how, what do they say to that the economy always plays a role in any election um everybody who's who's presided over a recession inevitably loses or their party loses. Uh, The Democrats, the problem is, is if income inequality starts playing a role in it, sure, the economy is doing great, but who benefits? If the Democrats can make the case that the lower and middle classes have lost out on all of these gains and they could be able to push back against Mr. Billionaire and his billionaire friends who hire other billionaires to work in the White House, and say Donald Trump hasn't drained the swamp, you're not seeing the benefits of this booming economy. We're going to help with that. Um, Okay, so I want to talk about uh, one last person before we go. Um, That is none other than Uncle Joe Biden. Um, So I have a philosophy that Biden, while he may be leading in some of the polls right now, um, and there's these bullshit stories that Trump is afraid of Biden. I don't think Trump is afraid of anyone. Um, uh, the I don't believe that he can win. I really don't. I think that he just. It's like it's almost like I don't know if it's as bad as as um, Jeb Bush uh, running uh, when he was uh, he was at the top of the polls in the beginning because um, I think Biden does have more oomph to him and he's more of a scrapper. But I think he has so many bad things in his past from Anita Hill. To, to comments he's made on numerous issues, to the fact that he has been in politics his, for, since before I was born, that I just he just seems like it's it's like 
it's another Hillary Clinton versus Trump. Am I missing something? No, I think you've pretty much hit the nail on his head. Um, <laughs> even this morning, no, this morning, um, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, but this morning the New York Times came out with this giant report detailing how Joe Biden pressured the Ukrainian government to fire a corrupt uh, attorney general or prosecutor or something who also happened to be investigating the board of a Ukrainian gas company that Hunter Biden was sitting on. And apparently this investigation was going back into the Obama administration. This is going to be his Benghazi. I'm calling it right now. That's going to be Benghazi, yeah. Yeah, and also the Ukraine is not exactly the most popular country right now after Paul Manafort and Viktor Yanukovych became a giant player in the Mueller investigation. So yeah. there's yeah. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just, I just, I just can't imagine. I don't, I don't want B- Biden to win. I just don't think that. I think he's a great guy. Uh, uh, you know, he's a very thoughtful person. Um, uh, um, you know, I don't agree with. Uh, I think that he's done some bad things in the past, like every politician has. But I don't think that. Um, I just think he's more of the same. I don't, and I don't want that. I want something different. I want somebody who is has got something. I want someone who's got something to lose, not something to gain. Mm. And right, and I've so, yeah. I speak to a lot of progressive activists all the time, and they keep pointing out, and I think this is correct, that the status quo that Biden wants to return to did give us Donald Trump. Yeah. So there is there is not really much of a benefit if you are a Democrat or progressive to going back to an era where you could get an even worse Donald Trump the next time around. I mean, if you're talking about how presidential elections tend to be reactions to the previous administration, like, what's going to happen next time in 2024? Does Donald Trump Jr. become president? Oh, God, why do you have to ruin my day like this? I'm oh. sorry. I, tr- I Donald I, Trump, I think Donnie Jr. is... I'm the, I'm the Hives resident downer. Is, is just a despicable prick. I mean, he's just like... He just doesn't care about other human beings. It is so apparent. He, the stuff he says and the stuff he tweets is just is awful. It's just awful. I don't think. I think that if he becomes president, not I'm not just moving to Canada. I'm I'm like going to Alaska. I'm building an igloo. It's going to have no Wi-Fi, and that's where I'm going to live out my days. You Mark know that words. Donald Trump Jr. loves going to Alaska to bow hunt, and also yeah. he wants to. <laughs> Uh, dr- he definitely wants to start drilling the hell out of Anwar and getting all that precious oil from underneath the ice. So Alaska is no longer safe for you, Nick. All right, then I'm going to Mexico and I'm going to live behind the medieval wall. Um, uh, all right, so la- la- last question for you and then we're going to let you let you go is um, – when you think about uh, the fact that we are now in uh, May of 2019, the election is not until November of 2020, as you said, uh, 17 months away, um, 16, 17 months away. Um, are we? I mean, look, I'm I'm an idiot for even saying this because I we just spent 45 minutes talking about this, but are we going to be talking about this? constantly for the next uh, year and a half or will will we get some kind of respite from it at some point i mean it's what's so mind-boggling to me 
is that for the past three plus years, we've been talking about Donald Trump. I do think that we talk about him a lot less now. I don't think about him as much. I don't read his tweets really that much anymore. I skim past a lot of news articles about him uh, and his name. Um, I know a lot of people in newsrooms across the country who have told me that they used to put Trump in the headline and um, they would get a 20% boost and now they put it in the headline, uh, his name in the headline, and they can get a 10% drop. Um in, in clicks. And um, do you think that we kind of are going to get to get a little bit of a break at some point from all the politics? Or is it just this is it from here on out? From the politics? Um, For, from Trump prob- and 2020 and all this stuff. Is there like a will there be a moment where we, where we kind of get a summer vacation or something? That's probably generally every August when it comes to a presidential cycle. That's when everyone's just like, nope, I'm going to just, you know, go to the Iowa State Fair and eat some hot dogs and not really think about it. That's what the candidates do all the time. And between the convention and September, that's probably going to be your first lull. That's when you start scheduling your vacation, Nick. (laughs) To Alaska. Oh, Oh, wait, no, no, no. I have a better idea. Let's go to Mongolia. Wow, what's in Mongolia? Are they nicer nothing. there? Oh. It's it's giant plains of nothing. Maybe some horses, maybe some Mongolians, but literally it's just nothing. And that sounds great. This is a blank landscape full of rocks and cold wind. Um, and a tent, well, a yurt. All right, sounds good to me. As long as there's no internet, Twitter, podcasts, any of that stuff, I'm in until November 2020. Unless he wins... And then I'm out, unless Donnie Jr. wins in 2024, which I'm out. And uh, yeah, let's do it. I'm packing my bags. All right, let's, uh, let's start looking up airfare. Tina, thank you so much for coming on the show and explaining all these uh, candidates for 2020 and answering my questions about Mayor Pete and Kamala and you name it. And I um, look forward to having you on uh, after August to uh, to tell us where things are and um, and who's going to win. That sounds great. Can't wait to get back here. Go go uh, go, Trump. Just kidding. Thanks, Tina. <laughs> All right, you too. Thanks to my guest this week, Tina Gwen. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find these on applepodcastradio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. If it is anything below five stars, then don't even bother. Just kidding. Thanks. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, this week to you, the listener, who has listened all the way through to this fantastic ending. Be sure to come back next week when we have even more fantastic guests and fantastic conversations about fantastic things. Have a great week, everyone. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. 
we've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake at The New Yorker, to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was brought to you by Empower. Are you ready for life's important milestones? What will your retirement look like? Do you know your net worth? Empower can help answer your money questions so you don't have to worry. With a real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you can get clarity on your real-life financial goals. Join 18 million Americans and take control of your financial future to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com.